We're in Genesis chapter 41 this evening, so if you brought a Bible, turn to Genesis 41, or if you have it on the Bible app, it's in uh, Genesis 41. We're going to look at this. Uh, We're working our way through the life of Joseph, and we're finding out he's the most unlucky guy. It's like one bad thing after another happens to him. And maybe as we've been looking at some of these hard times he's had, you've kind of seen yourself in it. Uh, I know I've, there have been times when I've had hard times in my life. I didn't understand why. I didn't think I deserved that. Uh, but we're, we're learning that God doesn't do things our ways. He's got a different way, a higher way, a way that's beyond our way. And we don't understand it sometimes, but we have to have faith in God. So we know that Joseph uh, got in trouble because God gave him a dream. And he had a pretty good interpretation of that dream. My mom, my dad, and my brothers, they're all going to kneel down to me someday. But when he told his brothers that, they didn't like that idea. They did not like that interpretation at all. They had a problem with that. Even his father rebuked him. So they ended up arranging to kidnap him, sell him to, some, to a caravan of traders going down to Egypt as a slave, and then they would be, he would be out of their hands. So Joseph got in trouble because he had a dream. He uh, got purchased at the auction block by a man by the name of Potiphar, a well-to-do man in Egypt. And Joseph got promoted. He was so good at what he did. He was so successful at everything. Uh, was just, he just promoted him right up until he was number two man in the household. And then you remember the story of Potiphar's wife. Thought she could uh, get some kind of secret romance going. And so that got Joseph fired. Not just fired, but locked up in prison for trying to rape his master's wife. That'll get you in trouble every time. So then he's in prison. And last week we talked about the two co-prisoners with him, the chief butler and the chief uh, baker, chief chef. We talked about that. Both of these two guys had a dream. And Joseph gave an interpretation of the dream, and he was right on with both of them. Both of them had dreams. So Joseph's getting a little experience here with dreams. I think he's learning that God is doing some things through him as it relates to dreams. Most probably if God works in your life through something over and over again, it's pretty good. That's, that's a gift that you have. That's what God is developing in you. You need to work on developing that. So he tells the one, now when God answers this dream and you get out, remember me. Remember me. And so he forgets. His dream comes true. He's reinstated as the chief butler, but he forgets Joseph. And Joseph sits in that prison because it's not his time yet. Doesn't mean God wants him there. It's not his time yet. There's still some ingredients in the oven doing some cooking, and it's not fully cooked yet. And God has planned for you and for me, and it's not fully cooked yet. That's why we're sitting here. 
So Pharaoh, oh, excuse me, uh, Joseph sitting in prison is kind of forlorn, I suppose, wondering if God has forgotten him too. And then the twist to the story. You know, every good story's got a twist in it that you didn't expect. That's what makes it good. The twist happens, and Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh said, I had, he called together all his big shots. You know, the, when you're Pharaoh, you're the king, you're like the president, you have this cabinet of leaders around you. So he calls them in, and he said, I, I, I had these two dreams. I had this, this dream with seven really healthy-looking cows. Looked like there was, there was uh, just all kinds of good things happening with those cows. And then seven cows came along after them that were ugly, weak, didn't look good at all. And the weak ones ate the healthy ones. And I woke up. I went back to sleep. I had another dream. And there were seven stalks of wheat. And these, they were big, full, thick, luscious looking heads of wheat. And then there were seven weak ones, and the weak ones ate up the healthy ones. What's that dream mean? And he had called together all the astrologers and all the scientists and, and the psychologists, and he called them all together, and he said, here's my dream. What does that mean? And they all scratched their heads, and they said, we don't know what your dream means. We don't understand that. And then the forgetful butler speaks up, the chief cupbearer. And he said, you know, my mind reminds me that there was a time when I had some shortcomings and you got mad at me and you put me in prison. And it was there in prison that I met this man who interpreted my dream and it came true. Well, let's get that man in here. So we're going to pick up our story right here in Genesis 41 down in verse 14. You follow along with me. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and shaved his, changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Now this is the turn in the story. Joseph gets out of prison. He shaves his beard. We don't know how long he's been in there. Changes his clothes. Because he's, if he's going to go before Pharaoh, he's got to change. You getting this? He's got to change. I want us to see from what we're looking at here in Genesis 41, we're going to see as Joseph gets promoted, he is a picture, uh, a type, an analogy of Jesus. Because Jesus had to change. He came to this earth as a man like us. He lived for a couple decades like us, dealing with the same kind of problems we have to deal with. But if he's going to, going to accomplish his mission on this earth, he has to change. Are you getting this? In John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then Simon Peter came along behind Jesus and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, 
as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Jesus had, he was dead because the wages of sin is death, and he came to, to embrace sin for us. He came to pay the price for our sin. The wages of sin is death. He had to die. And he's laying in that tomb for three days. And we know what happens to a dead body for three days. We know what happens. But on the third day, he got promoted. He left those grave clothes in there. And he had to put on a new garment. Are we seeing that? So the first thing is, he's a changed man. Jesus had to change to step into the presence of his father, to present the sacrifice, the shed blood that had been offered on the altar. He had to step into the presence of God, and he had to change to do that. Left the grave clothes in the tomb. Isn't that good news? Are we seeing this? Because I've got eight of these types or pictures, things that, come, that, that line up between Joseph and Jesus. If I got eight of these things, and that's one, I got, I got to keep moving. So, and let me just say this, because I don't just want to teach this morning, or this evening. I, I, want to, I, want to, this, I want us to get it down in our hearts that God had a plan for Jesus. And it was revealed through Joseph. Joseph is an amazing picture in a lot of details, as we're going to see. Next part, number two, the second way he relates to Christ is in verses 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I can't interpret your dream, but God will give you the interpretation. In other words, Joseph says, I'm a prophet. I'm speaking on behalf of God. I can't do it, but God. So here's the second thing I want us to see. Joseph was a prophetic man, which is a type of Christ, because he was a prophet. He was a prophetic man. To be a pro, to be a to be prophetic means you hear from God and then you speak that word to someone else. That's what it is to be a prophet, uh, prophetic. And what Joseph said is, not me, I'm just a man. But God, it's one of the great but gods in the Bible. But God will show you the interpretation and what you need to do with that. And I was reminded of Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 49, that Jesus was a prophet. Jesus said, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I didn't speak on my own. It was the Father who put these words in me, and I'm speaking out. So, Joseph, uh, we're, we're skipping a lot of verses here, but Pharaoh tells Joseph, what his dream was and Joseph says this is, this is what that means and he told him it represents the seven represent years so for seven years there's going to be prosperity in this land everybody's going to have a job 
Everybody's going to get a bigger screen TV. Everybody's going to get a better car. I mean, this is, this is going to be an exciting time. Seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt. And then there'll be seven years of famine that follow them. I'm sure everybody thought it was good news. Seven years of plenty. But following is going to be seven years of famine. That's not good news. So Joseph says, here's what the Lord says you're going to do, Pharaoh. You're going to appoint somebody who really is a good administrator who can manage this, this financial turnaround for the next 14 years. And you're going to take 20% of the proceeds. Every year there's a, there's a harvest. You're going to take all the grain. And you're going to take 20% of that harvest and you're going to set it back. Everybody, the whole kingdom, 20%. Now, we would call that a 20% tax. Right? I mean, anytime they dig into your income and take it away and put it into the government coffers, uh, that's a tax. 20%. I kind of suppose there's a few complainers in that. I mean, you have to believe that Pharaoh's dream is going to be a reality. And you have to believe that Joseph, this foreigner who's down here in a, in, a, in a prison, you have to believe that he knows how to interpret it. Nobody will know for seven years. There's going to be plenty for seven years. Then the famine. And if we haven't prepared for the first seven years, we will not be ready for the last seven years. So we don't hear about objections. We don't hear about protests. But for seven years, there's plenty, and they set it back. He's a prophetic man. Which brings us then to the next step of the question. We're going to jump down to verse 37. We've got to cover some ground here. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Notice, this is a unique thing down in Egypt. The Spirit of God working through somebody, God speaking through somebody and giving him the word of the Lord. So somebody's got to believe in the prophecy they just heard. Somebody has to believe that. So the third thing is, we're looking for a wise man. Does anybody know a wise man that has the Spirit of God in them that we can appoint over this? Nope. The only one that they've seen that has the Spirit of God is this Joseph, who nobody really knows except he's got a prison record. That's all they know about him. One in whom is the Spirit of God. And I'm reminded, so, so we know this about Jesus, or Joseph, he was, a good, he was a wise man, but then we look at Jesus in Matthew 13, 54, and it says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. So you see, Joseph was a, was a forerunner of Jesus. He was a wise man. All right, let's go to number four. This is getting good. Look down at verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. We jump down to verse 43. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. This is a turnaround, isn't it? I mean, this is a flip-flop. He was in trouble and went, went out of the fire into the frying pan. I said that backwards, didn't I? In, out of the frying pan into the fire. One thing after another, and God flip-flops it. But God turned it around. I love it when God does that. And it's exciting because I know some of your stories, and he's done that for you. He's turned things around when it didn't look very good. Uh, I want us to see here, the point number four is he was an honored man. They honored him. He's in, he's in the, the Pharaoh's chariot, the number two chariot, chariot one, I suppose they called it. And he's, as they go down through there, there's always some people right out front crying out, make way, make way. The King James Version says, bow the knee, bow the knee. I like that better because that was probably appropriate in their culture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 says this about Jesus. He has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authority, and powers in submission to him. And it tells us in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So here's this guy who is, a, who is shunned. Nobody wanted anything to do with somebody like him. And now he's number two in the land. Bow the knee. Make way. Wherever he comes, everybody gets out of the way. They treat him as an honored individual. I love this because it was a turnaround for Jesus, and it was a turnaround for Joseph. Everybody looked at him differently after this. And I believe it was the Spirit of God working in both of them that turned things around, and it's the same Spirit that lives inside of you if you're a believer. It's the same Spirit. So why would God not work behind the scenes work around your life, working things out. Comedian Milton Berle wrote a poem one time. He said, I'd rather be a could be if I cannot be an R. Because a could be is a maybe who is reaching for a star. I'd rather be a has been than a might have been by far. For a might have been has never been, but a has was once a star. I think we need to see God at work in us, not be beating up on ourselves because things haven't gone the way we want them to go or thought they should go. We need to see God at work, and he's just not done cooking this yet. He's still working on it. All right, let's look at Joseph for the, the fifth type I want us to see in verse 42. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain on his neck. That reminds me of the story of the prodigal son when he came back home again. And the father put a robe on him and a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, treated him like a son, not the servant he came proclaiming he wanted to be. So here's the point. He was an official man. Joseph was an official. And Jesus was an official. This is important. We, we see this. He's functioned in an office. He had power behind him. And they put a robe of fine linen on him. I thought, fine linen, that sounds interesting. How does that relate to Jesus? I looked up that, that word fine linen because I wanted to know, is there, is there something hidden in there that, that has significance? And you know what the word really means? Bleached. Bleached. I don't know if you know this, but that used to be an occupation. People would take cloth and they would, they would set up seats, kind of staggered like this, and they would spread out cloth on it, and let the sun bake on it, and it would bleach it white. That's how it get white. The occupation was called a bleacher. Now you know where those seats at the ball game get their names. Interesting. A robe that was bleached. And what color is it going to be if it's bleached? It's going to be white. Anybody else in the Bible has a white robe? Interesting for us to think about. He had been given the father's coat, a coat from his father, special made, multicolor, many colored robes, rainbow robe, if you want to call it that. But that had been taken from him and dipped in blood. Ah, is this connecting? Is this connecting? Joseph is a type of Christ. The last nice garment he had was when he worked at Potiphar's house. And when he was tempted, he turned and ran, and he left that nice robe behind. Remember that? Potiphar's wife said, See, he came and tried to rape me. Caden came and tried to rape me till I screamed and I chased him out of here. Now he's traded his filthy old prison rags for Pharaoh's robe. White, bleached linen. And I'm reminded of this in G about Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. You see the type? I mean, like detail after detail, we see what happened to Jesus was not an afterthought. It was not a, 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 a desperate attempt that Father God put in place to redeem us. It was something that he had planned from the very beginning. And the story was spelled out here uh, in Joseph for us. 
So, listen. Joe, every, every exciting book that you've read that you didn't want to put down, you wanted to keep reading all the way to the end, has a bad chapter in it. A chapter where something goes awry, something goes wrong, something goes bad. Every exciting book, every TV show, every mystery, every movie has got some kind of a bad chapter in it. The prodigal son had a bad chapter, didn't he? The prophet Jonah had a bad chapter, didn't he? Even Jesus had a bad chapter. And you should not be judged on your bad chapter. You should be judged by how the book ends, how your life ends, what happens at the end, not the bad chapter in your life that was what God used to turn you around. Everybody ought to say amen at that. Please don't judge me or anyone else based on their bad chapter because God's not finished yet. He's still working at you, on you. All right, I got to keep going. Look at verses 44 and 45. When Pharaoh, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paaneah, and gave him Azanath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Don't think those names aren't significant. Don't, don't just rush on by there because you don't know how to pronounce those, those old names. There's meaning there. Zaphonath Paaneah is Egyptian. You can look up in your Hebrew concordance and you're not going to find it or dictionary, I mean, it's not going to define it. It's an Egyptian name. And it means Savior of the world. It was a title. He had been given authority to save the world as they knew it from this famine coming up. So everybody was mandated to do whatever he says to get ready for the seven bad years during the seven good years. He's going to be the administrator. He's going to be the official. He's the Secretary of Homeland Security. It's a big responsibility. Savior of the world. And we're reminded that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says this about Jesus. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see the pattern? You see it's coming together here? God, this is, this is no accident. And then... Pharaoh assigns a bride to Joseph. Joseph didn't fall in love. He was assigned a bride. Pharaoh gave him a, a wife. Didn't ask him, does she look okay? Didn't ask. He just said, this is your wife. And he's supposed to be happy. And I'm thinking... What does that represent when it comes to Jesus? He wasn't married. Oh, yes, but you remember that term, the bride of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. Azanath is her name. And she was 
an Egyptian, not a Hebrew. She's not going to uphold Hebrew customs and culture. She's not going to give him a Hebrew child. She's going to give him a mixed, mixed children. And she is the daughter of the priest of On. She's going to bring some bad spirits into this relationship. Are you getting the message? When you as a sinner came to Christ, you probably had some bad spirits, some dysfunction, some problems you picked up along the way that you brought into the relationship with him. You think he doesn't know that? You think he doesn't know the weaknesses you have? You think he doesn't know those addictions, those that mental trap hanging that's got you hung up on your past? You think he doesn't know that? He's going to take good care of his bride. He's going to clean us up. He's going to send us through the car wash, like it or not. <laughs> All right, I got to keep moving. Look at verse 46. Here's, here's, I just think this is fascinating to see all these parallels. Verse 46. Did we get six? What's that? Did we get six oh, I didn't give you that one? I'm sorry, that's a big one. Two-dimensional man. He was a Hebrew. He was also Egyptian. Jesus was a man in the flesh. He also was God. Two-dimensional, I'm sorry. I should have, that's an important point. I should have uh, elaborated on that. All right, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh of Egypt, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. 30 years old. That connecting? He's a type of Christ. Remember how old Jesus was when he began his ministry? This is no accident here. Luke chapter 3 verse 23 says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son of God. So it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli. Interesting. 30 years old. That's pretty young, isn't it? I mean, to be the savior of the world, to do something big and dynamic, I mean, you got to be in your 40s or 50s, right? Before you can do something big like that. I, as the church, the spiritual church, I want us to see God has established a pattern of starting young. Not before somebody's mature, but young, while they still have energy, before they get afraid of failing. That's the problem with age. We've tried it a few times and fell flat on our face, and we're not so sure we want to try that again. So we're, we hold back. When you're young, you can take on big projects. And some of us did that. Bigger than we should have. Bigger dreams than we should have had. But there's a second part of what I just read in verse 46. 
And that's that he was a traveling man. He went out this way and he went out that way and he traveled all over the land of Egypt. Every corner was under his jurisdiction. He made sure they had grain bins over here and grain barns over there and a place to store grain over here. In every corner they had them because they've got, they've got to store up enough food to feed everybody for seven years. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of warehousing. It was his job. So he traveled around, and I'm reminded of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He went every place. Sometimes he's up in, up in Galilee, sometimes he's down in Judea, sometimes he's across the, the Sea of Galilee, sometimes he's on the Sea of Galilee, and sometimes he's in Samaria where a good righteous Jew wouldn't go. He's just all over the place because he's interested in people like you and me who are from all over the place. All right, I got to keep moving. Number eight, verse 55. Oh, I'm sorry. Man with a mission. Man with a mission. From the age of 30, he knew what his mission was. Both of them. All right, I'm sorry. Verse 55. Let me just tell you. In verse 55, the point is he's an empowered man. He's empowered. Because I'll probably forget. Verse 55. When all Egypt began to feel the famine... The people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. He's an empowered man. I'm reminded of that time when Jesus went with his mother to a wedding in Cana. And they ran out of wine. And somebody came to Mary and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So Mary went to Jesus and said, what are we going to do? We're, they're out of wine. And Mary, and he said, what do I have to do with that? That's not my job. I'm a guest here. I'm not supposed to be taking care of that. Why do you give that job to me? And then Mary turns to the servants and says, uh, I guess we ought to read this. This is in John chapter 2, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Same thing that they said about Joseph. Do whatever he tells you. He may tell you to do some things you don't really like, but do whatever he tells you. Both were empowered men. They had, they had the backing. Joseph had the backing of the Pharaoh. Jesus had the backing of Father God. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Let's, let's stand, because I want to kind of wrap this up. Joseph had the victory because he didn't give up faith. He said, I can't do this, Pharaoh. I can't do it. But God can. And I'm a messenger of God. We've got to get ourselves out of the picture, and we've got to put Jesus into it. You see what I'm saying? He did not take credit for himself. He gave the credit to God. If we can give the credit to God, why would God not want to use us? 
Joseph had the victory in his life, this big flip-flop, this big turnaround in his life, going the wrong direction to going the right direction. God turned it around. God turns it around in all of our lives. It's not going to look just like that. But God is, he's the biggest flip-flopper I know. Don't misinterpret that. He can turn situations around. And I want to serve a God like that the rest of my life. And I want to keep being an instrument God can use to turn people's lives around. Because some people don't hear from him very well. They need somebody to coach them along the way. That's, where, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, so we can be empowered coaches. So if Jesus has the victory, and the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of us, then we have the victory. Amen? Amen? I mean, we've got it. Why, why do we keep telling ourselves we don't have it yet? Just because I haven't seen the completed package. I believe God's got it in the oven. The ingredients are being processed. And we need to hang on to him. And we need to, to just hang on to him. Amen? I want to pray for us. Just use your imagination for a minute and reach up in the air with your right hand like you're holding on to him. Heavenly Father, we're holding on. Sometimes we don't understand why things happen the way they do, how, how, uh, uh, why people turn on us, why it looks like we've been abandoned, why things can't work out better. We don't understand why, but we know you are cooking up something. You have a plan for us, for each one of us, and God, we just reach out to you. We ask for your favor to flow into our lives, and we ask you to not let ourselves take the credit credit belongs to you. Any good thing that happens to us came from you. Help us to remember that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you need a miracle, remember where you need to take it. Miracles don't come from me. Miracles don't come from your neighbors. Miracles come from God. Stay focused on Him. Amen. 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 Go with God. He loves you.